This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Welcome to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation about how we can get more women to join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, and I couldn't be more excited than I am today. I'm joining you live for the first time in nine months, and it's an honor of our special post-election show. Before we jump in, just want to remind you, new episodes of Women at Work premiere on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and our full catalog of past shows are available through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get yours. Just search on Women at Work and Laura's Arrow to find us, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at SXM Business as well as at Laura's Arrow. As you might imagine, here at Women at Work, we have been in celebration mode since Saturday. Kamala Harris has not only cracked the most notorious glass ceiling in the country, she has blasted through the concrete ceiling that blocks black women in particular from leadership roles. Given how integral her identity is to her newfound place in history, we're going to do more than celebrate today. We're going to dig into the relationship between identity, community, and leadership and see what we can all learn from her as we aim higher and extend the ladder of success to the women coming up behind us. Helping us in that process is the extraordinary Laura Morgan Roberts, professor of practice at the University of Virginia's Darden School of Business. Laura, welcome back to Women at Work. Thank you, Laura. So <laughs> great to be here today. Ah, I couldn't be more excited. Before we jump in, just let me share a little bit about you with our listeners. Um, for those of you who are new to Laura, she is an expert on the science of maximizing human potential in diverse organizations and communities. Her influential publications and presentations on diversity, authenticity, and leadership development have been widely recognized, and she's the 2020 inaugural recipient of the Academy of Management Organizational Behavior Award for Societal Impact. She's edited three books, which I highly recommend, Race, Work, and Leadership, Positive Organizing in a Global Society, and Exploring Positive Identities in Organizations. And on top of all that, she is also a profoundly moving poet whose piece, Enough, should be a contender for the inaugural poem. So with that, Laura, (laughs) have you stopped celebrating yet? (laughs) In my heart, I will perpetually celebrate this moment. Um, you know, it is just the, it's a milestone in decades or I should say centuries of mm-hmm. effort toward uh, justice and inclusion um, and recognition and appreciation of the power of leadership and the ways in which that leadership manifests through diverse perspectives, diverse backgrounds. Um, and inclusive of that, we're talking about racial diversity. We're talking about ethnic diversity. We're talking about gender diversity here. So many milestones for us to celebrate and honor with the election of Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Don't you just love saying that? I know I do. I love it. <laughs> And and for all of the reasons that you said, this is such a singularly important moment. So many milestones have been achieved. And one of the things that really struck me when I was watching her acceptance address was how not only beautifully 
she presented herself in that moment, but all how complex it must have been to prepare for it. She is now forevermore going to be watched every moment by the rest of the world. When your identity is so singularly groundbreaking, how does she navigate it? Can you help us understand? Last time you you were with us, you helped us learn a lot about code switching and how identity matters as you shift your environment. She has the whole world watching. What is she up against when it comes to just that basic beginning fact of how you walk out on stage and present yourself to the world? You know, I think what was so inspiring about uh, Vice President-elect Harris's um, presence in that moment was, in fact, her authenticity. Mm-hmm. It was the full embodiment of these intersections of who she is, who she is as a political leader, as a brilliant political strategist, um, as a bridge builder, as someone who shows that they're not afraid to make tough decisions to call people to the carpet <laughs> so that in the Senate and all those Senate hearings, you know, she can straight talk. She'll, put, she'll ask the tough questions. She'll hold people accountable. Um, she also leads with heart. She got some flack about that on the campaign trail mm-hmm. in the final days, you know, when she was visiting historically black colleges and universities, when she was dancing with young people, when she was showing the joy and the ebullience that comes from her, um, you know, intersecting backgrounds of being a black woman, of being the daughter of an Indian immigrant uh, who was a Ph.D. scientist who worked for (laughs) NIH, (laughs) you know, you're adding all of that in, um, of being a wife, of being, you know, Mamala, of being Auntie Kamala. We talked about that before as well. We saw all of that fully embodied in that moment on Saturday night. And I think that's what made it so beautiful. People saw the strength, um, you know, the strength of, of mind, but also the strength of heart. Yes. And that was so attractive. It was wonderful to see the young members of her family on that stage, those little girls, their beautiful dresses, just soaking in the moment and sharing that love and joy together in extended family um, in, in a way that just, I think, shed light on who we can become as we continue to grow as a people, as a community. Um, she offered all of that up to us. She didn't code switch in that moment and say, oh, how can I um, make myself look as similar as all the other vice presidents have ever looked in U.S. history? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> she said, well, what is going to be signature Vice President Harris? And she put that forth in, in that moment. And it was it was a true gift. It takes courage to be authentic in that way. But I I really do believe that's where some of the uh, deepest power comes. Speaking of deepest power, there is a profound influence in the role model that she is, always has been, but particularly now for women, from little girls to grown women around the globe. 
as we look at her as an emerging leader, she is stepping into one of the most complicated jobs on the planet where she needs to carry all of that with her. But at times, some of it needs to um, be put on the side because she's the command. She's the understudy for the commander in chief. Uh-huh. You know, we're sure she brings her compassion to it, her empathy for others, her strategic thinking. When is it in our roles in day to day life that we need to be I'm a woman executive or I'm just an executive? Does she ever stop being the vice president with all these identities or just the vice president? Or like, how does she juggle that? And how do we juggle how we see her? Well, I think it's, yeah, those are two important questions. Um, You know, how we see her uh, should be through the full um, appreciation and respect for the role that she holds in the same way that we would grant that full respect and appreciation to Joe Biden when he was Barack Obama's vice president. Uh, And and so, you know, all of the gravitas that comes with that, all of the expectations that come with that embodiment should be carried over to uh, Vice President-elect Harris. You know, it's unfortunate in this moment that uh, she comes into this uh, historic leadership position along with President-elect Biden, you know, in the face of the most uh, massive and incendiary campaign to undermine the outcome of the democratic election, you know, that we've seen in the life of our country. Uh, so that takes away <laughs> from, from yeah. the ability to just walk in and say, hey, I'm, I'm the vice president-elect. I'm not going to have to see all of those identities or live through all of those identities. When, you know, fundamental to the experience of leadership, and especially for for black women and women of color who are leading, for women of Asian descent who are leading, is that their leadership is contested. Even when they reach the highest positions of leadership, they still face these challenges to their authority and to their legitimacy. So, you know, we wrote about that in, a, in our edited volume, Race, Work, and Leadership. That this is, you know, kind of the paradox of leadership for Black people, even when you get into the most senior level position of leadership, you still are dealing with this contested authority. So how ironic is it, um, how tragic is it that this transition is not moving smoothly on so many different fronts? But adding that layer in as well, I think, Laura, is something that we have to hold in the aperture of or the scope of the entire uh, set of identities that Kamala Harris brings to this moment. That's the, that's the perception piece of it. Now, mm-hmm. for her as an individual, you, you you wonder, you know, how do you navigate that? You know, how are you making decisions? I think for people who live in authenticity, you're always drawing upon your very identities to inform the decisions that you make as a professional as a community leader, as a political leader, as a business leader. You know, you, there, there are certain moments when you have to make judgment calls, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and your identities 
your ability to see through different perspectives, to anticipate the consequences of the choices that you're making for various constituents uh, is, you know, paramount. And in those moments, your identities are your sources of strength. So for any leader who is non-prototypical, you know, they don't fit the mold. They don't fit the prototype, right? They look at the history of vice presidents in the U.S., and there's never been one who carries many of the identities that Kamala Harris, as our vice president-elect, is bringing. And so she's non-prototypical. She stands out in that way. But those diverse identities can be a source of strength that help to inform her decision-making. I loved one of the things that um, she said in response to the question you know, uh, what's going to be your approach to, uh, to, to leading in this role as vice president-elect? Uh, she said, uh, you know, I'm honored to have this role. I learned a lot from watching Joe Biden as Barack Obama's vice president. And my goal is to serve in this role with the same amount of dedication and you know, conviction, those weren't her exact words, but, you know, to, to use that, that same approach for the, the model that Joe Biden had set for Barack Obama, that she would take that on as well. So in that way, she's crossing these identities and they're saying, well, how are you going to be a vice president, a great vice president to Joe Biden? She said the same way he was a great vice president to Barack Obama. Right. You know? She's including <laughs> even a white man as one of her role models in this. Yeah, By the way, for those of you who just tuned in, this is Women at Work on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 132. And I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. My guest is Dr. Laura Morgan Roberts, professor of practice at the University of Virginia's Darden School of Business. So, Laura, are you teaching this semester? I am. So have you uh, encountered your students since the election results came in? We have our next class on Saturday, I had um, small group discussions intermittently, uh, but we'll have our next class session on Saturday. I'm teaching executive MBA students at Darden, and I'm teaching a required course on leveraging diversity and learning from differences. Uh, So it's right in the bullseye of the conversations that we're having today about identities and inclusion. One of the reasons why I ask, aside from it must be so exciting to go into your students and it's going to be a juicy day in class, is part of what you are doing is educating the next generation of business leaders and organizational and societal leaders. Um, How are you preparing your students for the kind of moments that our vice president-elect is facing where your identity is so essential, so important and so complex? We do. Um, I have always taught about the complexity of authenticity, about the ways in which people have to negotiate their identities, uh, thinking about how their various identities will be experienced by different constituencies, and then making strategic choices around how they present themselves, how they show up. Uh, within organizations. A lot of this covering, um, which Kenji Yoshino uh, coined the phrase, 
is impression management. And I wrote mm-hmm. about that impression management for my doctoral dissertation, Laura, so, <laughs> 20 years ago. So this has always been part and parcel of my teaching around leadership. It's understanding how your identity as a leader is a source of strength, but also understanding the dynamics around impression management that, you know, the way people experience you within this space in the context of all your identities will influence how or the dynamic between you. So how you're able to lead and their willingness to follow. I want people to be more sensitive about that. When people are members of the dominant group, they don't understand how much work other people are putting in, cognitive work, emotional work, you know, who are not members of the dominant group, who are non-prototypical, who are, you know, untraditional or don't fit the mold. Uh, They're putting in a whole lot of work just to establish their legitimacy within that space. And that's a, that's a significant blind spot for many of our leaders, current and future leaders. So I want our leaders to be more sensitive and attuned to that. I want our leaders to be able to um, critically analyze their cultures of their organization and ask the tough questions about how welcoming their culture truly is for women to lead, for women of all backgrounds to lead, you know, and to lead with the same measure of authority and holding people accountable within the organization that uh, that many of their male counterparts have been able to exercise. So I want There's to... so many other things we can do, but I, I really <laughs> think that that culture um, and shaping culture is a critical leadership competency for these uh, dynamics that we're talking about today. So I want to take a half a step back and... <clears throat> Make sure and reflect back and make sure I'm processing this right and also putting this into some kind of like nuggets that we can carry with us when you're off the air, Um, which Mm -hmm. is that we all have aspects to our identity, but we're not all always in charge of how we deploy them in any given situation. And that without subjugating them, the challenge and the opportunity is to figure out kind of like recruiting different muscles for different jobs, how we deploy those aspects of ourselves to further the goals at hand. How much of that did I get right or wrong? That was eloquent. That was beautiful. Oh, yay. Thank you. (laughs) We're threatened here for those who are saying, well, maybe this is still sounding kind of academic. And, you know, I, I get that. I get that. So I've, here are some of the concerns that people have. You know, will I have to suppress my identity? Will I have to fake it or act like somebody else because I'm concerned that someone will negatively judge me or criticize me because of my race, because of my culture, because of my gender? Um, so there are concerns around suppression, mm-hmm. and those constrain our authenticity. There are concerns around exploitation at the other end of the continuum. It's, you know, am I just being brought into this role because they're trying to window dress? You know, am I just here as a token, but not expected to be a solid contributor and, you know, not really on a path to grow and develop as a leader within this organization? You know, are you just exploiting me for, you know, the purposes of saying you've got this amount of black or brown people or females. Right. Am I helping you check a box on your reporting? Yeah, there you go. Am I helping you check a box on your report or am I, you know, are I truly here because you honestly and genuinely value me and the contributions that I can bring? 
So they're two sides of the same coin, the mm-hmm. suppression and the exploitation. But they make these um, conversations about authenticity far more complex. Certainly. And challenging if you're not the prototype. You've got to be much more strategic and thoughtful about how you show up. You can't just, oh, just be yourself. Uh, well, that's complicated. Well, <laughs> Look, I can't even back. just show up and be myself sometimes at my parents' house, you know, so okay. never mind at work. <laughs> okay. And sadly, and this is another thing with the, with the, with the classes right now, what's happening in our universities, it's to some extent mirroring what's happening all over our country. You know, we're deeply divided right now. We're polarized. Um, we're talking about a five million difference in the popular vote, but we're looking percentage-wise, you know, very close to 50-50 in, you know, 57-51%, right? So that suggests that there are these fractures or these fault lines underneath the surface, and a lot of people don't really know what to do with that going forward. That's going to be a leadership challenge for Biden-Harris. Um, there's a lot of pressure put on them right now to heal those divides uh, while they are yet, you know, being fractured and and deepened by the choices that people in leadership are making right now. Um, But Mm -hmm. but that's a challenge. And I know that many students and many colleagues are actually not speaking to their families right now or their parents are not speaking to them. Yeah. Uh, to your, you know, I can't even bring my authentic self around my parents. We don't always agree about values with right. our own family. It's so right? true. <laughs> By the way, for so people just that. tuning in, this is Women at Work on Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. Delighted to be talking with Dr. Laura Morgan Roberts today. She's a professor of practice at the University of Virginia Darden School of Business. So, Laura, I want to switch gears a little and talk instead about the places where um, particularly black women have found tremendous community. Um, And in fact, the network that I think is um, exemplifies the power of black women when they come together, and that's black sororities and Alpha Kappa Alpha. You shared briefly with us when you were on the show last time that you are a proud member and a legacy, in fact, going back a couple of Mm -hmm. generations, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. So what I am. (laughs) And you should earn that pride. Um, For those of us who have not either been in a sorority and in particular understand the dynamic and culture of black sororities, can you share with me how much of the experience is that it's a safe place and a refuge and how much of it is about a community from which you launch? Help us see what the magic is behind how powerful these black sororities have become in the country and in the election process. I think that we can look to the words of Kamala Harris, uh, my sorority sister, um, who is now vice president-elect, during her acceptance of the nomination, as well as her speech on Saturday night. At both times, she referenced um, her gratitude for the support of Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority and other black Greek organizations. She also acknowledged her gratitude 
throughout the campaign for the support she's received from historically black colleges and universities. So in, in, mm-hmm. in many ways, I think that theme intersects that, yes, there are these communities <clears throat> such as Alpha Kappa Alpha that provide the bond of sisterhood and connection. Uh, Alpha Kappa Alpha was founded in 1908 at Howard University, which is the same HBCU where um, Vice President-elect Harris was initiated into the sorority. It was founded as a basis for sisterhood in a world that did not welcome, appreciate, or affirm uh, brilliance and empowerment from the Black community, male or female. Um, The first historically Black fraternity, Alpha Alpha Phi Alpha um, Fraternity Incorporated, was founded in 1906, so just two years earlier. Um, And the goal there, again, was brotherhood, but also encouraging and supporting scholarship. You know, these are among the very few people of African-American descent who had college degrees. Mm -hmm. Um, But service, service is a huge component of these organizations. So coming together to serve the needs of the community, also to organize and mobilize. So there's collective empowerment that we see um, creating what you call the platform for launch. <laughs> when I think about the platform for launch, we can even make a direct parallel to hidden figures. You were hidden yes. figures. The study of the black female mathematicians who began working for NASA in the 1950s and they helped to chart, well, not help, they charted the launch of astronaut John Glenn into orbit. Quite literally. Um, from Hampton, Virginia. Right, yeah. So truly launching. Three of those women, Catherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, Mary Jackson, all members of Alpha Kappa Alpha. That's awesome. Incorporated. May Jemison, first black woman astronaut also a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. So when you say launch, I love you use that word because those are the women who were on my mind this morning. Um, so, you know, yes, there's the inspiration, but there's also the support and the collective mobilization. And this is what we saw. This is what the news has been covering in the past five days, how these organizations mobilize together in phone banking, registering people to vote, encouraging people to put their ballots in, taking to social media, building campaigns like Stroll to the Polls campaign. It just got people fired up and energized about exercising their right, their hard-fought right to vote. Um, And that's always been an important element of these organizations, is not just a lead within the context of these Black communities and organizations, but to be involved in our national and global politics. Laura, I could talk to you all day. I am so grateful you joined us today and are sharing, help deepening our understanding of these amazing women, the amazing woman who we are lucky enough to call our vice president-elect, and for all the work you're doing to educate the next generation. For people who want to find out more about your work, where can they find you? You can find me on LinkedIn. I... I am very intentional and proactive around sharing evidence-based resources that catalyze and inform change around diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
Um, you can find me on the internet at www.laramorganroberts.com. And I'm a professor at the University of Virginia Darden School of Business, so you can find me there as well. Laura, we have unfortunately run out of time. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm Laura Zarrow, and this is Women at Work on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 